One of the things that encouraged me the most is there was a booth that uh, was, was promoting the day camp that's going on this summer that Doug has already talked about. And so there was somebody from the Alliance Church sitting there, and there was lots of people showing up and, and getting information. And I just thought, that was a, that's a really great thing. Because I was down there last year, and I was thinking, how can we become more of a, of a presence in our community? And so this was the first time I saw that, and I thought that was really cool, that, uh, that this inter-church event that we have that is reaching kids in our community is is uh, telling the community about what we're about and what we're doing. And so I thought that was really cool. And then I ran into a parent of, of one of our kids' friends, and she said, hey, I was really excited to see that, and I'm going to plug my kid in, and this parent isn't part of the church at all. And so uh, I think it's a really great way for us to be more of a tangible presence in our community. And so I encourage you parents, uh, if you have that week open in August, make sure you get your kids signed up and, and invite your neighbors and your friends out to that. This is a really good way for us uh, to reach out, and especially in Lake Country, as we are a young, um, a young community with so many kids and young families, this is one of the ways in which we can say, hey, we are a church that cares, we are a church that's reaching out, and obviously with the backpack giveaway is a really big outreach too. And so that's one thing that I am prayerful about, and one of the things that I am hopeful for for Creekside, that we would continue to be more of a tangible presence in our, in our community, in our municipality, and I think there's are ways in which we can move forward in that direction. But it was a good, can- it was a good Canada day. Uh, after, after we celebrated on Friday, I took my kids to Rock Creek and we went camping for the weekend and it was beautiful. And if you've driven past there, you probably think the whole thing is burnt down, but you actually drive down into the campground and it's really, really nice. And we had a great time. And I was just, again, reminded of how grateful I am to live in this country, grateful to live in this beautiful place that we get to call home. You know, and especially this week, I'm reminded of how good we have it in the midst of so much terrorism that continues to happen in our world, Um, some of the racism issues that are going on in the States, and then obviously what happened in Dallas a couple days ago. It's really quite heartbreaking. And um, praying for those countries, praying for the events that are going around the world. We live in uncertain times, and I feel a little bit sheltered here in Canada. And I'm so grateful to be a part of this country. I get to travel the world uh, with my other job. I'm, I'm, uh, I get to work with uh, missionaries overseas, and so I get to travel. And when people find out I'm Canadian, more often than not, they're excited, and they, they ask me about my country, and they talk about the reputation that Canada has. And uh, the more I go away, the more I realize how much I am like a mini ambassador for Canada, and that I represent uh, my country, and I'm proud of it. If I was to have a discussion with somebody about who I am and my identity and what I'm about, it wouldn't take long for, for me to say, I'm Canadian, this is part of who I am, this is my identity, I'm proud of it. This morning, as we continue our series in the book of Philippians, we've been going through it for a couple of weeks now, we're going to hit a passage that actually talks directly about citizenship. And so in his letter to the church, Paul speaks to the church in Philippi and he uses these feelings of privilege and responsibility of citizenship to to draw out spiritual truths and identity for the church there. And so that's what we're doing this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we are going to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. I think I have it up there, yeah. So uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, this is where we find ourselves I'm only going to read three verses today, but I think it's important to note that um, this is the beginning of a section that lasts up until chapter 2, verse 18. And so Paul is starting a new train of thought here. 
and he's encouraging the church, and it carries on from chapter 1, verse 27, to chapter 2, verse 18. So it's important to read that section, knowing that Paul's really trying to make a point here, and it really flows together. In this section, Paul is encouraging the church to live a certain way, the way of Jesus. And he bases this whole point on what we're going to read here in verse 27. He bases it on the fact that they are citizens of heaven. And so let's read it, and I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation, and I'll tell you why I do that in in just a second here. But let's read these three verses. It's up on the screen there as well. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. I put up there the NIV. I did this because I think uh, a lot of you are probably like me where you actually read the NIV. That's your uh, translation of choice. And verse 27 the NIV says this, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. It doesn't even mention the whole citizenship part. And you might wonder, well, why are these two translations so different? And I want to say that it's actually a lot more similar than it appears. And so let me speak about this for a second. The original Greek verb there literally means to live out your citizenship. And so we don't, we don't actually have a word like this in the, English, uh, in the English language. And so the job of the translator is to try and capture the intended meaning of the original language. So the New Living Translation and many other translations choose to keep citizen of heaven in there. The reason the NIV uh, takes it out and changes it to conduct yourselves is because what it meant to be a citizen back in the first century is so much different than what it means to be a citizen today in the 21st century. And so translators were just trying to capture the, most, uh, the closest intended meaning. And so that's why you see a bit of discrepancy there. Now, I personally think this is a bit unfortunate that the, that the NIV chooses to go this way because with a little bit of work, to some degree, to a lot of a degree, we can understand what citizenship would have meant for the first century. And so that's where we're camping this morning. I want to sum up what we've just read. Paul appeals to the church that on the basis of their citizenship, they should live lives that are honorable. They should live lives of humility. They should live lives that are lives of integrity, lives that are able to endure suffering and persecution, where they stand strong. Lives that look, Jesus, lives that look just like Jesus himself. And Paul is making an appeal to the church that because they are citizens of heaven, they are to stand strong and show Jesus to the world around them. Show the world around them that Jesus is Lord. And that's really the general message between chapter 127 to 218. So in order to fully understand the significance of this passage, let's try to wrap our heads around what this would have meant to the Philippian church. What this would have, uh, how a Philippian person would have heard this. I want to look at what it meant to be a member of the Philippian society. Now, if you're new to the faith or if you're new to scriptures, Uh, keep in mind that these are very real places. These are real people. This is a letter that is written in a specific context, in a specific history. And if we can try and enter into that, it will really help us as we understand and try to interpret the scriptures for ourselves. So I want to show a picture. I'm a big fan of pictures. kind of shows us where things are at. 
So you've got Rome in the top right there, and then Philippi kind of goes straight over. And so it is, Philippi is, is in modern-day Greece now. And so it's actually quite a ways away from Rome. It was considered more of a backwards province at the time. Uh, Philippi was a very, very prominent city. And in the province of Macedonia, there weren't a lot of um, really big, prominent cities, but Philippi was one of them. And the reason for that is Philippi was given over to legions in order to colonize the city. It was a gift to great soldiers. And so the soldiers would fight for Rome. They would have these uh, really, they'd have really great reputation. And Rome wanted to honor these legions, these soldiers. So Rome said to them, you go colonize this city and you make it a mini Rome. Here's a gift to you. You can go and do this. And so that's what made Philippi different than all the other cities around it. And it was considered a mini Rome. It was governed by the municipal laws of Rome. That's only something that is reserved for um, the most honored cities of the time. And if you were from Philippi, you were given Roman citizenship, which is a huge advantage in the empire. Roman citizens basically only resided in Rome and other parts of Italy, but as Rome conquered the rest of the Mediterranean and the world, they, they weren't given, the people were not given Roman citizenship. But to be a member of Philippi, to live in that city, you were given citizenship of Rome, which is a really, really big deal at the time. Flip over one more there. So these, this is what Philippi looks like today. This is the modern-day excavations. Um, there's evidence that it was a very wealthy urban area. And in order to be a citizen of Philippi, uh, it was very much a great honor for you. And you would have been a step above all the other people of Macedonia if you lived in this city. Let me tell you a little bit about what you got if you were a citizen of Rome. You would receive justice. You would receive Roman law. You had the rights to, uh, to purchase property and to buy and sell property. You got massive tax exemptions. And there were so many other benefits that came with that if you could prove that you were a Roman citizen. And so, because of this, many people would pay a really high price in order to get their citizenship because it was so beneficial for them. But if you lived in Philippi, you were automatically a citizen because it was a special city. Now, with that said, to be a Roman citizen also meant great responsibility to represent the Republic well. You were, a you were to act like a class above the rest. You were now a member of higher society. You were a member of a higher caste system. You, as a Roman citizen, were to represent Rome in all of its greatness. So that's kind of what citizenship meant back then. Now, the Philippian church would have no doubt been full of Roman citizens. And so because of this, Paul is making an intentional and strategic play on the Philippians' citizenship. When he, when he, speaks, this, uh, when he speaks about citizenship, it would have meant so much to the Philippian church. This is what Paul is saying. As they understand themselves to be good Roman citizens and all the benefits and responsibilities that carries with that, you are to understand yourself as a citizen of heaven with all the benefits and responsibilities that carries with it. Paul is essentially saying this, as you understand yourself to be a mini Rome in the province of Greece, so the church is to be a mini heaven in the city of Philippi. That's really what he is getting at here. There's a few other places in Scripture where Paul talks about this. Uh, later on in the book of Philippians, and I'm sure we'll get here later, Paul says to them again, uh, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in a different book, Paul says, 
Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. This is what this means for us today. As Christians, you have been given an identity as a citizen of heaven. You belong to God. You're now part of his family. You are engaged in his kingdom. You're part of his household. And so, yes, I'm still Canadian and I'm proud of it, but even more so, I am a follower of Jesus. I am a citizen of heaven. And this reminds me that ultimately this world is not my own. I belong somewhere else. And so in this uncertainty and the unstableness of the world around me, and we are reminded of that again this week, I can be assured of my place in heaven as a child of God and as a member of his kingdom, both here, right now, presently, and in the future. But then I also realize that this identity has significant application to how I'm supposed to conduct myself in the world. And that's what Paul continues to say here. If you keep reading in the sentence, uh, as a citizen of heaven, Paul says, I want you to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. That just as being a member of Roman society came with responsibility, so does being a citizen of heaven. Paul tells the church that now that we identify them, now that they identify themselves with God and his purposes, they are They are called to live and strive accordingly. You see, for Paul, everything is on the line here. If you've been reading through Philippians, you'll notice in chapter 1 that Paul is constantly talking about spreading the gospel. He talks about declaring the gospel, um, that he is in chains, but he wants the gospel to go forth. We see this great passage where Paul says to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And he just wants to see the gospel uh, brought forth. And so for the church in Philippi, in this passage, we see Paul is begging them to live in such ways that they are striving for the integrity of the gospel, that they are living lives that are worthy of the gospel. In the, even in the face of persecution and suffering, Paul tells the Philippian church, represent your citizenship well. I want to read a quote here from Gordon Fee, a great uh, biblical teacher and scholar in, um, in the letter of Philippians here. This is what he says. Just as Philippi is a colony of Rome, whose citizens would exemplify all the distinctive aspects of Roman life and culture in the distant province, in the distant province of Macedonia in the same way, and in fact in an infinitely greater way, your truest citizenship is in heaven, dear Philippians. And so you must exemplify all the distinctive holiness of heavenly life in this distant province we call planet Earth. I think that's just a great way of, uh, of summing it up. So I've been stewing on this passage for a few weeks, knowing that I was going to be preaching about this. And once again, I'm just absolutely struck by how much our conduct and our character really matters. I'm reminded as I read this passage and so many others like it, that what we say we believe has to affect how we live, how we carry ourselves forward in our world. Paul says this in a a few other places as well. Here in Ephesians, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life that is worthy of the calling you have received. And the church in Colossae, he says, and we pray this in order that you would live a life that is worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. As followers of Jesus, we carry with us the responsibility to represent Christ in our world. And we carry with us the responsibility to live lives that are worthy of the gospel and to show the good news in every aspect of our life. So Paul starts this section by declaring the great reality of who we are. What is our identity? Our identity is that we are citizens of heaven, that we belong 
to God and to his purposes and to his kingdom. And this is a beautiful part of who we are. This is who we are. But then after establishing that, he then challenges the church to live accordingly. Now that you understand who you are, live a life that is worthy of who you are. And so I'm left with a personal challenge when I read this. I ask myself two questions. First of all, do I really believe that I'm a citizen of heaven? Do I really believe the identity that God places on me? That that is where I belong? That's the first question. And then the second question I'm left asking myself is, am I living a life that is worthy of the gospel? Do people see the good news in me as I live? I have to ask myself questions. Do Laura and I, are we a family where our kids see a passion for the gospel in our home? Are they, are they picking up on the fact that we are citizens of heaven? Do they see it in us, in, in the choices that we make and, and, and the way that our family uh, operates? Do my coworkers see a passion for the gospel in me? Do they know that I love Jesus, that I'm following him, and that I'm living for him? Does how I spend my money represent a passion for the gospel? Does how I spend my money represent the fact that I belong to, the, that I belong to heaven, that I'm a citizen of heaven? And that ultimately I'm not about building my own kingdom, but I'm about engaging in God's kingdom. These are questions that I'm, that I'm left asking myself. Ultimately, in my life, am I living a life that is worthy of the gospel in every way, in every aspect of who I am as a person? And so here's what we've done so far. Paul really plays on the reality of Roman citizenship that the Philippian church would have had. And he says, just as you are a Philippian, or just as you are a citizen of Rome, because you live in Philippi and all the responsibilities that carry with that, you are also a citizen of heaven and you need to live like it. You need to understand who you are and what you are called to do. Essentially, Paul is saying this, what you believe affects how you choose to live. What you believe shows itself in how you live your life out. And so I want to take the next few minutes, the rest of our time here, just sharing a few stories with you and just getting really practical, showing you some examples throughout history and today of people that have done this, that have really lived out their faith, put their faith on their sleeve, so to speak. I want to start with the early Christians. I'm a big fan of reading the early Christians and the early church fathers. That gives me a really good picture of what, how Christianity started out and how, how, um, how our, where our heritage came from. This is a story uh, coming out of 4th century, so in the 300s, uh, it comes out of, of an Egyptian city called Thebes. Roman legions would go down and they would take peasants, peasant farmers from Egypt, they'd throw them in a boat and they would force them into conscription. They would have to be forced to fight for the army. And so they'd float up the Nile and they'd be kind of stuck in like a prison camp in the city of Thebes until it was ready for them to go and fight. Pretty unjust, pretty sad story. Well, the Christians that lived in Thebes, they heard about this, and they heard about the terrible living conditions of these people. And they would go and they would provide water, and they'd provide good food and comfort and whatever else these people that were suffering needed. And so one of the prisoners, whose name was Pacomius, asked a local person, who are these charitable people? And this was the description. And I quote, they are people who bear the name of Christ, the only begotten Son of God. And they do good to everyone, putting their hope in him, who made heaven and earth and us people. Can you imagine? That's the reputation that Christians had back then. And so according to this account, Pacomius heard this and his heart was set on fire. And eventually, 
Eventually, the peasants were released, and they didn't have to go into the army. And Pacomius set foot in a church, and he got baptized. And, uh, and later on, he went on and became a founder of a covenantal monastic tradition. So a pretty big-name guy. And he was drawn to Christ because of the charitable actions of the Christians. Because what these early Christians believed profoundly affected how they lived. And this was taught. As I read the early church fathers, they talk over and over again about the conduct and the character that a Christian should carry with them. I want to just show you two quotes from two pretty, uh, pretty famous church fathers here. Uh, the first one is Justin. And this is, these are guys that are teaching the early Christians. He says this, It is for us, therefore, to offer to all the opportunity of inspecting our life and our teachings. Justin's saying, look at us and inspect us and see if what we're, how we're living is true. Origen goes a little bit further and he says this, Christ makes his defense in the lives of his genuine disciples for their lives cry out the real facts. As you read, as I've read through some of the, the apologists, the early church apologists, when they're trying to defend the faith, they don't go to science or deep theology or evidence that demands a verdict. You know what they say? You know what they tell people? You want to know that Christianity is true? Look at the Christians. It is the Christians that will show you that that Jesus is alive and that he is Lord. That was their apology. That was their defense, was the fact that Christians lived so different than the world around them. And I'm really taken by that. Um, Did you know that in the early church, uh, it wasn't easy to become a Christian? You had to go through a very strict training program in order to prove that you take representing Christ seriously. And if the leaders of the church looked at your life and didn't think that you were taking this all that seriously, they wouldn't let you into the church. Now, I'm not suggesting that we do that today. I think that's way too strict and legalistic. But I think there's something to be said about the fact that Christians need to take very seriously the fact that it is our job to live a life that is worthy of the gospel and to represent Christ. And that ultimately people around the world, our neighbors and our co-workers should look at us and, and we should be a defense for the Christian faith. We should be living our lives in such a way that people are drawn to Christianity. That's, how the, that's the things that the early church taught. And I would suggest that Paul is teaching here as well. Let me fast forward a thousand or so years and tell you a little bit about John Newton. Uh, you may have heard the name before. John Newton comes from uh, 17th, 18th century. He was English and he was a slave trader. He was rich. He had a boat and a crew and he'd go from England. And he'd go down to Africa and he would take African people and he'd sail back up to England and he'd sell them. He was pretty ruthless. Uh, pretty bad guy. Somewhere along the line, he had this radical conversion, and he did a total 180, a total uh, transformation in his life. And you'll know John Newton uh, by the famous song that he wrote, which is Amazing Grace, which kind of puts into perspective, right? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, who saved a wretch like me. I think I got it right. Anyways, that's John Newton. So he really meant it, right? Saved a wretch like me, but he did a total 180. Uh, changed his life became a pastor, discipled many people, became an evangelist. What he ended up doing is he joined a crew of people, prominent evangelical leaders in England at the time, and started advocating against slave trade. And by the end of his day, he teamed up with William Wilberforce and Hannah Moore. You may have heard those names. Together, this crew of people actually abolished slave trade in England. Early 1800s is when it stopped because it was Christian evangelicals who said, we've got to put a stop to this. This is inhumane. This is ungodly. Because it was Christians, it was these guys who said, what we believe has to affect how we live. It has to affect how we choose to conduct ourselves 
in the world around us. I want to tell you a story. It's not a story. It's a friend of mine in Nelson. We uh, we came from Nelson, and uh, he's a dentist. Amazing man of God, and he's a dentist, and he moved in, and he said, I want to be a light in this community. And if you know Nelson at all, it's not that easy to be a light in a place like that. But he said, I want to be a light in my community. So he, as he, as he established his dental clinic, also established a nonprofit uh, dental clinic. And he worked with uh, low-income homeless people and would provide free dental care for them. And if somebody came in and, and was really hurting but didn't have dental care, he would do it for free. And he'd provide everyone who went to the church with free dental care. And yet somehow his business was still doing really well. I believe that the Lord was really uh, providing for him and honoring him. But he just said, I really want to make a difference in my community. God has given me a skill and a gift and a vocation, and I'm going to do something with it. Well, after a few years of this, he ended up winning some prizes, some humanitarian Blue Cross stuff, and he got published in the newspaper. So keep in mind, this is the Nelson newspaper. And they asked him, why did you do this? And this, and I quote, this is, comes from the, the Nelson Star. He says, I really just want people to know the love the Lord has shown me. We fixed some people's teeth and I'm happy about that, but it's just a shadow of the greater love that has ever been shown to me than the one who laid down his life for me. So I'm continually in his service. And everywhere he goes, my friend represents Christ. And he provides free dental Uh, care. And then he tells people about the love of Jesus. And he doesn't cram it down their throat, but he's certainly not shy about it either. And he says, I'm doing this because there's a reason for it. Because I'm a Christian, because I'm following Jesus. And he had a radical conversion when he was a young adult. And, And my friend, what he believes really affects how he lives. And he is living a life that is worthy of the gospel, and he is making a big difference in a small community of Nelson that desperately needs to know more about the love of God. I could go on and on. I could tell you stories of stay-at-home moms who see their stage of life as an incredible ministry opportunity, and they have other, single, other moms into their home, and they, they reach out to that demographic of people. I could tell you stories of business owners who weren't just there to make money or to get ahead in life, but they were there to bear witness to Christ in how they treated people, in the lives of integrity that they lived, in their ethical business practices. I could tell you many stories of people like that who said, I'm a citizen of heaven, so I'm going to live like it in the business world. I could tell you about retired people who, once they had more time on their hands, started giving countless, countless hours and time uh, to really important projects. The chair of our board, I work, I work with the missions committee, the chair of our board is 81 years old and he's spending five weeks in India. He got there yesterday. He's touring around and he's encouraging pastors and church planters. He's been retired for 30 years, but he has chosen to do this with his time because he said, I'm a citizen of heaven and how I view retirement and how I view the money I have and how I view the time that I have, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to view all those things through the lens of the fact that I am a citizen of heaven and it's going to affect how I live. So I could keep going on and on, but I'm not going to. Um, I'm going to end with this. If Paul was speaking to us today, if he was writing to the church in 21st century Canada, I think he might say something like this. Even though you're a proud Canadian citizen, even more so, remember that you're citizens of heaven. So live like it in every way, giving honor to Jesus and living a life that is worthy of the good news. I think this is how Paul might speak to us today. So I hope you're encouraged this morning that you... Uh, If you are following Christ, you 
You are a citizen of heaven. You identify yourself with the kingdom of God and all of that represents and all of that stands for. But it also comes with responsibility, responsibility to live a life where other people can inspect your life and see Christ in you, where they can see that you are living a life worthy of the gospel. So be encouraged and be inspired and maybe be a bit challenged this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for, first of all, uh, who you call us to be as children of God. Thank you that we are saved and that we can walk closely with you, Lord. And I pray that we would be people, that we would be a church here at Creekside and we'd be people in every, any situation that we find ourselves in to be people that represent you and live lives that are worthy of the calling that you've placed on us, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.